Well, it's good to have you here this morning. Six days until Christmas. So for some of you, that means five days until you start shopping. But uh, anyway, it's uh, good as we celebrate the Christmas season together. And uh, we have a hope. His name is Jesus. And we're here to celebrate that hope this morning. Uh, before the message, I, I'd like to just share a, a thank you to the security team and the medical professionals. We had a, if you weren't here in second service last week, we had a little bit of a medical aid issue, and our security team works incredibly hard to try to make a, this as uh, safe a place as possible, and, and they did a great job, and medical professionals that, uh, that stepped in, and it was went so well that it uh, most of us didn't know all what was going on, and uh, we. Uh, and if you are watching online, the uh, live stream was interrupted, and that will take place when something like that happens. And uh, so, those of you, I know many of you reached out who were watching online to make sure that the person is doing well, and they are doing very well. And so, we're grateful for that. But again, I want to thank our security team and and the medical professionals that uh, jumped in to help, and we appreciate that. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you this morning, may your name be glorified. Lord, I pray for each one here and each one watching online that you would just encourage each one of us in a recognition of the amazing story of Christmas and the hope that you bring. And Lord, as we look at Your Word this morning, I pray that nothing will distract us from the principles of Your Word. And Lord, that we may be challenged in our relationship with You. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the nativity scene and some of the characters in the nativity scene. But oftentimes in the busyness of Christmas, we can easily lose focus on what is to be the center of the season. The center of the season is the fact that God sent His Son, Emmanuel, which means God with us. This morning, as we continue, we've looked at Joseph and Mary, and this morning we're going to look at the baby and recognize that Jesus Christ is to be the center of our celebration. Years ago, I was uh, talking to a family, and, and they had a, a Christmas tradition. I told you about our Christmas gnomes uh, a couple weeks ago. But, but they would, sometime in a move, they had lost the baby Jesus in their nativity scene. And so they would have different things, and, and as their kids were young, they would, they would go on searches looking for Jesus. And they did it sort of as, as a game, but, but what an amazing reminder that Jesus Christ is who we are to look to in this Christmas season, and He needs to be the center of the season. In John chapter 1, and verse 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. 
C.S. Lewis, in his book Miracles, pictures the miracle of incarnation. God sending His Son to rescue us. He writes, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature He has created. But He goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with Him. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks surface again, building in his hand, or excuse me, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they have come up into the light. Down below where it lay colorless in the dark, he lost his color too. What a picture that C.S. Lewis paints of God leaving heaven and coming down to this earth like that diver goes down into the depths of the water to claim us to save us, to recover us from the consequences of our sin. So this morning, we're going to look at a very familiar story. But we're also going to step back in John chapter 1 and, and recognize the answers to a couple questions that the story of the nativity should bring up in our lives. We begin with Jesus in the nativity. In Luke chapter 2, verses 4-7, through seven, a part of a very familiar passage. Even though you may not have intentionally attempted to memorize this part of Scripture, as I read, you'll probably be thinking it right along because it is so familiar. It begins in verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus, the promised Messiah, was born. Not how the people expected it that were seeking out this Messiah. He was born in a stable. He was laid in a feeding trough. And, and we're amazed at the circumstances of the story. We have heard it over and over. And, and we can picture the stable. Actually, probably more a cave. The, 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 you can picture Joseph going up to the innkeeper and the innkeeper saying there was no room. We see the shepherds coming from the fields to visit. We, we imagine what was taking place as everyone was coming because of the census that brought Joseph and Mary and many others to Bethlehem. And so much more. The story. And we celebrate the story as we should, but the circumstances of Jesus' birth are not the end of the story. While the circumstances of the birth draw our attention, we need to focus on two questions. 
Question number one, who is he? And question number two, why did he come? Question number one, who is he? John chapter 1 helps us to answer that story. In the first three verses, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. The Word is a term for Jesus. So Jesus was in the beginning, and Jesus was God. And if Jesus came as anything else other than God taking on human flesh, the story, the Christmas story, the salvation story, loses its power. It says that He is Emmanuel, Matthew chapter 1, God with us. He is the incarnation, God taking on human flesh. And we see Scripture points us to the fact that Jesus demonstrates the character of God. Characteristics that only God can have. Jesus is omniscient or all-knowing. John 16 and verse 30 says, Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. The, the disciples were speaking to Jesus here. They said, By this we, the disciples and others, believe that you came forth from God. No one questions Him. He knows all things. Also, He's omnipresent. Matthew 28, verse 20 says, Jesus speaking, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Back just a couple verses in Matthew 28.18, we see that Jesus is omnipotent, all-powerful. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He has power over everything. The, the passage we looked at in John 1, 1-3, He is the Creator of the world. The Creator of the universe. He is eternal. As we saw in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, was Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is unchanging. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. These and other characteristics only possible in God are seen in Jesus Christ. Who is He? He is the Son of God who came to this earth for us. If Jesus Christ is anything other than God, the power of the Christmas story, the power of Calvary, the power of salvation is truly powerless. We need to recognize who He is. And unfortunately, many people picture Jesus Christ as this really good teacher, a really nice guy that, that helps us understand how we should treat other people. And He does that. But He is so much more than that. And He's more than a man who performed miracles. Even though Jesus performed many miracles while here on earth. But He is the Son of God in human flesh. C.S. Lewis, as well as Josh McDowell, used the, the phrase that Jesus Christ is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. 
Because if He is not truly Lord, if He is not truly God, then He's either a liar or a lunatic. Because He said things like, I and My Father are one. He called Himself the Great I Am. He pointed to the fact that He is God. And if He wasn't God, He'd be a liar. Or simply a lunatic. Someone who thinks he's something he's really not. But Jesus Christ is Lord. And as we celebrate Christmas, and as we picture the scene of the Nativity, we need to recognize that the center of the scene needs to be the center of our life. Jesus Christ, God's Son, coming in human flesh. So, who is He? He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God who has come to us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among, amongst us. And we saw His power, the powers of the Father, filled with grace and truth. So, who is He? He is the Christ. But why did He come? Jesus came for one main purpose. And that was to provide salvation for a world that needs to be saved. Going on in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, the next two verses says, In Him, in Christ, was life. And the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The life tells us that Jesus Christ is the One who can provide life, who can provide eternal life. And the light allows us to see in the darkness, to recognize our hope in Jesus Christ, the salvation that we can have in Him. And Jesus Christ humbled Himself and came to this earth to live and to die for us. Why did He come? He came to die. I remember as a, as a seminary student, I was in a, in a church there and, and the they did this Christmas theme and they had music with it and everything that, that pointed throughout the Christmas season. And, and I remember the title of it, of the series and the song, I mean, everything that fit together, Born to Die. And simply put, that is why Jesus came. He came to die for you and for me. He is the light of the world, the light that gives us hope in the midst of darkness. And he humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says this Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Salvation is possible because Jesus Christ provided the perfect sacrifice. He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself because He needed to provide that sacrifice because no one else could. But as we've been looking through the nativity scene, humility has come up each week. We talked about Joseph two weeks ago as we saw and compared it to Micah chapter 6-8. What does God require in us? 
but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And we talked about the fact that we can do nothing for God without a recognition that in and of ourselves we will fail miserably. And last week we looked at the story of Mary. This teenager, probably 14, maybe 16 years old, right in that, time, in that age span. A teenager who God chose to be the mother of the Messiah. And what did we see in Mary's life as we read her song of praise to God and her response to the question that was given by God through the angel? She was a maidservant. A humble, obedient servant. And we recognized her humility, her obedience, and her courage. Her courage both in facing what she knew was going to take place, but also things that she did not know, but were sure there were many unseen obstacles in the responsibility that she willingly took upon herself. But Jesus Christ, the center of it all, who humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And as we think of the Christmas story, we think of the virgin birth. And people sometimes say, well, yeah, that's just the story. But it is a central part necessary for the story. Because Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice, and the perfect sacrifice had to be without blemish, without sin. And Jesus Christ was not born of a human father. He had a heavenly father. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And whenever a person is born into this world, we are all born into sin. We are born sinners. But Jesus Christ, miraculous birth, allowed God Himself to take on human flesh. No one else could provide the sacrifice necessary to pay for our sin. Nothing we can do will help us earn our salvation. If you're here this morning or watching this morning and you say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I'm going to work really hard and God's going to look at me and He's going to say, okay, you did pretty well. <laughs> you know, those few words you said probably weren't the greatest. And, and every once in a while, no, you got upset at your wife. But, but you did a pretty good job. You, you worked pretty hard at, you know, at your job. And, and so come on in. God's requirement is perfection. And every one of us will fail to meet that requirement. And so it required that God provide the perfect sacrifice that could cover the cost to pay for our sin. You know, the miracle of Christmas is pointed to way back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in the first chapter it talks about creation and also in the second chapter and it talks about the, the beginning of family. And then in chapter 3, we come to decision time for Adam and Eve. And Satan, through a snake, tempted them 
to disobey God, and they chose to disobey God. They desired to be, in many ways, in their pride like God. And so they chose to not obey God, rather to follow the temptation that Satan had put before them. And because of that, sin entered in the world. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, For what by one man's sin, sin entered into the world, and death by sin for all have sinned. But even in the midst of man choosing to turn their back on God, God chose to continue to show His love and hope to man. Because in the midst of the consequences of their sin, as that's laid out in Genesis chapter 3, the consequence upon the snake, ultimately upon Satan, upon man and upon woman, we see that in the middle of that, God shares hope. And that's found in Genesis 3.15. We, we call it the first evangelism, the first gospel. And it says this, speaking to the, sa- to the snake, ultimately to Satan, he said, and I will put, God speaking, enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. An interesting picture there. Because in the midst of the consequences of sin, God shares a glimpse of his plan of coming to rescue us and to provide a way to restore relationship between us and a holy God. And there's a couple things that are interesting there. The idea of he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The death blow to Satan and to his wicked plans. But also says between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, Her seed. It's a picture of the virgin birth. You see, any time a human being is born, it's the seed of the man. But God was going to miraculously provide a way to send His Son. And so it's her seed. Mary the mother that carried the baby, but no man the father. Instead, God Himself. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God's plan, the coming of the Messiah, was put in motion all the way back in Genesis 3. God knew even before that, but the plan being put in motion and throughout the Old Testament as the nation of Israel was birthed and as we see the people were looking forward to the Messiah, the the one that was going to come to rescue them. But they missed it. Because they pictured a Messiah coming in pomp and circumstance. Instead, Jesus came in a feeding trough in a place where they kept the animals. Instead of the kings coming and and being part of the royal lineage as they saw it, he was part of the royal lineage of the seed of David. Both Joseph and Mary were of the ancestry of David. 
And instead of, of having the, the witnesses be the, the people that were in royalty there, the witnesses were a group of shepherds. And shepherds, it's an interesting reason why God chose the shepherds. A reason we may not fully understand. In fact, I'm sure we don't fully understand. In a court of law, in the Jewish tradition, shepherds could not be witnesses. If a shepherd saw a crime, they couldn't be called upon in the court to give their testimony. Why? Because they were not trusted. So you better hope if somebody did something to you that the witness was somebody other than a shepherd because they couldn't even vouch for you and your story. And who did God choose to be the ones to come and witness? The shepherds. In fact, it was so bad for the shepherds that the religious leaders did not believe that shepherds could even be part of the kingdom of God. So if you were a shepherd, <laughs> tough luck. But yet God brought those shepherds in to worship and witness the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God Himself, Emmanuel, taking on human flesh. God with us. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was born in humble circumstances. But his circumstances did not change who he was and why he came. Who is he? He is God taking on human flesh. He is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And why did he come? He came because of you. He came because of me. He came because each one of us needs salvation that only He can bring. So as we celebrate Christmas, don't lose the focus. You know, I think there are three horrible errors that are made in the celebration of Christmas. The first two are made by people who have rejected Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation that comes through Him. The first one is to believe that it was just a nice, cute, cuddly little baby. The son of Joseph and Mary, who was a pretty wise guy who taught us some really important things. Maybe did a few miracles, but just a man. And if that's your belief, you have to recognize that if that's who Jesus is, He could not provide the sacrifice for your salvation. Error number one. Error number two would be to say, you know, that's a nice story, but 
That's for someone else. I don't need the gift. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been at a Christmas celebration, a family or whatever Christmas celebration, and somebody gets a gift and they say, no, thanks, go ahead. <laughs> I don't need this. Now, when I was growing up, I, it was very important to know how many gifts were under the tree. And actually, that's not true. It wasn't very important to know how many gifts were under the tree. It was very important to know how many gifts were under the tree that had the two and my name on it under the tree. I didn't care how many gifts my brother got. Unless he got more than me, then that was bad. But if he got less than me, I didn't care if he got one or five as long as I got more. Now, as we get older, we realize that it's just as good to give than receive. Isn't that the way it says? Right? <laughs> no. Did you ever try to figure that out as a kid? I remember my mom would say, John, it's better to give than to receive. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I like the receiving part. But, you know, we do that, and it's really fun to give gifts as well as receive gifts. But to reject a gift? And so many people in this world have said, well, that's a cute story. Maybe they were one of the characters in the Christmas play growing up. They can almost quote the passage just because they've heard it in the story so much. And they were sheep number three in first grade. But you know what? The error of not accepting God's gift. To recognize our need and the fact that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, and if you say, you know, John... Jesus was just a good man. That's not who He was. It's not who He is. He is the Son of God who came to this earth to pay for the penalty of our sin. Or if error number two, you say, you know, <laughs> that's a nice story, but it's not for me. You're rejecting the only hope that you have. The only hope of salvation. You see, the Christmas story isn't about a baby. It's about God loving us and providing our only hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Romans chapter 3, we find that we are all sinners and the wages of sin in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But aren't we glad that Romans 6.23 doesn't stop there because it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're here this morning or you're watching online and if you've never accepted that gift of salvation, today is the day that your eternal destiny can be changed your sins can be forgiven and the Lord Jesus Christ can be your Lord and your Savior. If you're here this morning and you've never made that commitment, I encourage you after the service to come and, and seek someone else out and we can show you from God's Word how you can know beyond a shadow of your, a doubt that your sins are forgiven. The hope of Christmas. As we sang, we have a hope 
His name is Jesus. But there's a third error that we make in our Christmas season, and that's this. We make Jesus the nativity scene. We bring him out. We have him in his spot. But then he goes back in the box. I don't know very many people. I'm sure there are probably some, but they keep their nativity scene up all year. Now, lights up all year. And every year I put lights up on our house, I'm thinking, those people that keep them up all year, they're probably smarter than I gave them credit for earlier. But, we have our God box, and then we have the rest of our life. Jesus Christ isn't to be just a part of our life. He's not just to be a part of the scene. He's to be the center of it all. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is God in control of every area of your life? Or you just pull him out and set him in the middle of certain things. He needs to be Lord of everything. So as we celebrate Christmas, Mary and Joseph, amazing stories of ordinary, common people from a two-bit town that God chose to raise the Messiah. And the center of it all the baby lying in a manger. Not an ordinary human being, but God in human flesh who came with the purpose to die for our sins to provide hope and salvation for a world, for me, who needs Him. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You this morning, may we celebrate Christmas. May we be continually amazed at the amazing love story of You sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Lord, help us to recognize our need of a Savior. Lord, for those of us who have trusted You, may we have You as center of every area of our life, not just some. And have You as center all the time, not just during seasons. And Lord, we will give You the praise and the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.